always fun to follow strong words like, you hypocrites. <laughs> but maybe we ought to chew on that a little bit. Because in each one of us, uh, not only is there a level of righteousness that is to be lived out for the sake of the kingdom, but also some hypocrisy because we may not look as deeply at areas of our lives that we hope that God would just let us skate by. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, I just, I think the, the word flows together so well this morning, and it, it has to do with making sure that we are, we are grounded in the revelation that the Lord gives to us, that we are in a place where we recognize what has been done on our behalf and what the Lord continues to do for us and <clears throat> for us to take joy in pressing on. Take joy in pressing on. Uh, I loved your testimony this morning, Rich. Um, I, I love the fact that the Lord sort of weaves together things that I've already prepared for a sermon. I should just sit down um, because it's already been preached in many ways. Um, this morning, um, Carol came up to me and she, she said the Lord had, had pointed her to Psalm 32, verse 8, right? I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. What a beautiful picture of the Father's love for us. Like, he tells us the steps we should take as we walk in his will, but not only the steps that we should take, but his watching. Not like uh, my father used to watch as I swang the golf club wrong. Your eye, you didn't keep your head down. Your back was tilted this way. Your head was up this way. Your, your body was in the wrong position. You hit, you hit the face of the ball in the wrong side. You know, I get all these things. And, and yet his heart was, I want your golf game to improve. I want you to be in a place uh, uh, where, where it just gets easier and easier. This, my father's golf game, he played a lot of golf. Uh, uh, while I grew up, it was part of um, his job as as meeting other clients and taking them out and talking work between holes. And th this guy didn't have a, a John Daly drive, but he was always straight and it was always a little over 100 yards. And he crushed me every time because uh, I was all over the place. You know, I could hit it long, but it was long into the woods or, you know, one way or the other. Um, and I, I, I now miss him so much that I miss that there was instruction there. There was some beautiful instruction, not instruction that was just from his uh, opinion, but instruction so that I'm, it might go well with me. That's the Father's heart for you, is that he wants you to take instruction, to receive, as the word said this morning, discipline, no child likes to be disciplined. Do you guys like to be disciplined? <laughs> no, none of us want to be disciplined. But the reality is the Father loves us so much that he doesn't hold back his discipline. And he gets us straight and walks us forward. So this morning, as we look at the Old Testament, I, I, uh, I hear this, this word from Jeremiah. It's in a word. It's in a context. Uh, the gospel is, is such... Uh, that it's in the context of preparation. Get yourself ready 
Um, I am the God at hand. Making very clear the Lord speaking through Jeremiah is, don't mess with these other gods that are distant, that supposedly might help you with wind and rain and sun and harvest and all those other things. Those gods, those earthly things will wash away, will die, just like men. But I am the God who fills heaven and earth. Declaring his omnipresence, his omniscience, his his ability to, to do and to be everywhere we want him to be right here with us. And he confronts something that's happening at the time of of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is bringing the word of the Lord, but there are others that are out there at the time that are bringing words that serve their own needs or serve their own community or serve their own agenda that don't line up with the word of God. And so he says, I've heard the prophets who prophesy lies in my name saying, I've dreamed a dream. I have a dream. Long ago shall there be lies in the hearts of of prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart. Lies are are spoken in order to to, uh, manipulate. When people lie to each other, they lie because the the partial truth, the half-truth, the convenient truth somehow serves a need within them because they're afraid of what the truth might bring. My mother always said, uh, this is one of those Millie-isms that I like to share, the truth hurts less. I've always had to chew on that because, you know, I I kind of recognize the fact that there are uh, convenient truths in my life, but she always was there to remind me that the truth hurts less. When you say the truth, there might be discipline with that truth. The reality is you might be corrected, but in that correction comes change, comes development, comes discipline, comes discipleship. And when those changes happen early, it hurts less because of our obedience. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their father forgot my name for Baal. The reality is, we go to what's happening now, right? You've heard prophetic voices come through, and I will say to you, as the scripture says to you, be wary of prophetic voices that don't ground their word in scripture, that don't speak to you. I, I, I don't think, I'm not a person who has memorized chapter and verse I can tell you where to find things. I love Mr. Google. He lets me find passages that I know the words to, but don't know the chapter and verse. At least back it up with words that come from God's holy word. But when you hear somebody who, who says the sort of the same shtick over and over again, and, and they, are, they, they, they have these dreams and they're aggrandized, and there are some prophets who are biblical who do have these big visions, but be careful to see it with wisdom. Here, he chides the prophet and he says, let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word 
speak my word faithfully. The word supersedes anything that somebody might try to deliver as the Spirit of God or uh, the Lord has spoken. Uh, I've struggled with this because we want revelation, we want wisdom, we believe that the Holy Spirit speaks, but he doesn't speak a new word different from the word that's already been spoken. It comes in line with Scripture. So we have to be careful when we say the Lord is speaking a new word for a new season. I believe that that's true. I believe that through what I'm, I'm hearing from the word this morning, that, that God really wants to bring about such, such fire, the words are here from the scriptures this morning, such fire that it burns out the land. Have you ever seen what a forest fire has done? In um, <clears throat> 1975, my family took a, a, a wild adventure, six weeks across the country and back. And um, I, I learned a few years later that the, the whole, almost the entirety of um, Yellowstone was burned. And I just was so sad because the glory, the majesty, the beauty of that place. But the environmentalists were saying, fear not. God allows this. They they don't, the environmentalists weren't quite saying God allows this, but this is part of nature as it's restoring the ground, as it's restoring the the cycles of of growth. And that has turned into, if you go out to Yellowstone today, just beauty and grandeur restored. The Lord makes it very clear, and I want it to be clear to you as your father as the one who's been given uh, words to instruct. Don't compare wheat with straw. Don't settle for a cheap meal. Don't allow your belly to be filled with some substance that's not going to give you life, but wait for the words of life to come to you. He says this at the end, is not, My word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rocks to pieces. When the word is applied properly, sometimes it really decimates our own understanding. Have you had that experience where you've you've sat and said, well, you know, the Lord has called me to give to his kingdom uh, and and I give regularly. And uh, when the basket goes by, there's something in my pocket to put in the basket Uh, When we talk about tithes or we talk about action, I'm helping with the Peter Maurin Center. I'm over here at Copley Outreach. Uh, I do good things. Then all of a sudden a word comes along and you see the fullness of that word come alive in you and you go, oh, I've got more to do. Well, I believe that in the, the book of Hebrews this morning, this word of endurance is what comes along when we hear that we've got more the lord has more for you to be able to step into those times where the word comes alive and you are corrected by the word that you are uh, blessed by its discipline and it says here lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely Let's run with endurance the race that's set before us. I'm, I've got to tell you, these are images that just don't sit right with me. I am, do I look like I have the body of a runner? 
I, I tried to run. Kristen was more successful at this than, than I was. Uh, but I, I just, I, I was better as a fullback on the soccer team than I was as a striker. I was <clears throat> one of the guys that, that uh, when you got about a quarter of the mile down the road and we had to do the mile run before soccer practice would start, I would see that nobody was around me and I'd put my thumb out and get hitch a ride back to, to school and pop out just as the rest of the group was arriving. <clears throat> but this is, is not to say that we all need to be runners. The lesson today from Hebrews 12 is that we should run with endurance, looking to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. The, the running is how to live out your faith with endurance, with the ability to keep pressing on. And he found it joy to go to the cross on our behalf. Can you let that word sit in you this morning and know that the Lord himself found joy in being able to open a way for you and I to be transformed, for you and I to be restored so that we can finish the race. Have, if you've watched any racing, I've watched the Boston Marathon, the New York Marathon, several things have sometimes been on the television and you watch and you think about how runners prepare. And as runners prepare for marathons, runners pre prepare for um, what's the, uh, the race that's biking and swimming and running, the, the triathlon, you know, or the Ironman or something like that. They, they typically will prepare with people who help them run for endurance. So not necessarily somebody that will run a full 26 miles, but a couple of people who will run and pace for them. They have the, the strength and the endurance, maybe not to run a full 26 miles, but to run 10 miles of that 26 miles at a pace that will push the runner more, further, stronger, deeper than they would if they had to have their mindset like, I'm going to get there, it's 26, i got to pace myself. No, they have somebody who runs alongside of them. And so the author of Hebrews is picturing this as he's saying, Jesus counts it joy to have died for you so that he can be your pace setter. He's running alongside of you. He's right there with you, allowing for you to be pressed and pushed, and you've got more. I don't know if you've ever experienced <clears throat> anything like outward bound, but outward bound was uh, an outworking of some wilderness experts who decided that they would take inner city kids and out to the wilderness and show them that they could do infinitely more than they could ask or imagine, that they could climb rock walls and they could uh, repel off of tall cliff ledges, that, that they could walk across bridges made of rope between things that you would never imagine walking across, that they could jump off of a, a pamper pole 35 feet in the air, and even if they didn't reach the trapeze bar that was out there for, the, for them to catch, they were caught in midair by the person below holding the rope. This is the kind of confidence that the Lord is trying to say to us. Jesus being your Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of the shedding of blood. Jesus, our pace setter, 
has, has given it all. So if he's running alongside of you, you've not had to, to face death. You've not had to face anything close to the hardship that he has. You've got this. There's more in you. And have you forgotten, he says? Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as my sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. It is so important in our culture right now to have fathers. Fathers, listen up. Whether you're a, you have a biological child or not, if you're a man in this room, our job is to help father generations. Generations that might be with us, that do not yet have the wisdom of grace of God that you have to share with them, or generations younger. I love the idea of the, that Paul was brought into the faith like Barnabas helped him catch the pace that, that Paul was uh, going to exceed Barnabas. But, but also we see the relationship that Paul had with Timothy. Came alongside of Timothy and he said, stop listening to those voices that want to destroy your ministry and say you're too young. You are doing exactly as God would have you do. We need those voices in our culture. He talks about it as discipline, and he said, God is treating you as sons. Would you receive that? When you, when you have a, a chance in your life where you recognize that something needs to change, God wants to discipline you, instead of running away, would you receive it and say, the Lord loves you enough to help you to get to the next level? to bring you to a life of, of grace and power to change and transform you. Fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seems best to them, but he disciples us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Do you feel like you're still in training? I don't think God's done with any of us. doesn't matter what age you are, from the cradle to the grave, we're still in training. God's, St. Luke's, God's got so much more for us. God wants to bring a, a fire from heaven, a baptism that will change us to the place where we're not relying on our own strength, but knowing that he's the pace setter. He's moving us forward. So we get this encouragement at the end of Hebrews 12. Lift your drooping hands. Wake up, right? Strengthen yourself. Strengthen those weak needs. Make paths for your feet so that the, what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. I was working out in the yard yesterday, and I'm moving piles of dirt that have sat there for a couple of years now because of the condition of my left leg. We've even got a, a nasty gram from a neighbor saying that, that, uh, uh, that those piles ought to be moved. You were doing such a good job. Why didn't you finish? <laughs> we couldn't tell that person, of course, because we, we got it anonymously. But um, as, as I'm digging up these piles, I'm realizing that had I dug them up when they were first dropped, they would have moved a whole lot easier. Now I've got to use this machine that I've rented and really slam into these piles to get them going. 
But if I removed obstacles one little piece at a time, like weeding in a garden, tending to a garden, one little bit at a time, it builds a discipline that yields a a crop, a fruit, a a bountiful uh, expression of the work that's been done that's really not that hard unless I leave it to harden for two years and now have to slam at it to get it to work. So where am I going with this? It's always good to have a point. makes it so much easier for the listener. What does the scripture say about what happens inside of us when there's a transformational work, a baptism, a change, an awakening? What happens to the world around us? Is it sweetness and light? Jesus doesn't say that this morning. In the gospel lesson from Luke chapter 12, he says, I came to cast a fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. We have to ask ourselves what the fire is. Pentecostalists would like to say that that's the fire of the Holy Spirit. I kind of agree. Um, But in in its context here, the the fire is uh, linked with baptism. So is this the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes, but more. He says, how great is my distress until it's accomplished. When is that going to be accomplished? How is that baptism, that fire that he brings, going to be accomplished? Well, it has to do with baptism for us of being under the blood of Jesus, and it doesn't happen yet. He's still in the midst of his ministry. Do you think that I've come to give peace on the earth? And then he goes and describes the the division that will come. And that doesn't sound like what we want in the body of Christ. But let me tell you, it doesn't take much for you to imagine expressing the truth of the gospel in our current culture and finding division. Let's stop fighting. This is your father speaking. Let's stop fighting. Be comfortable in the clothing that God has covered you with. Wear the the armor of God and go out into the public square and into those places where you're buying a snowblower and just let the Lord lead you to do what you're led to do without shame or fear, without having to, you know, stumble over your words. Just say, you know, I'm a believer in Christ. And I just, I feel like this is a moment where I can speak a word or I'm a believer in Christ, and that's why when you ask me the question, what makes me tick? Why, did I, why was I kind at that moment? Why did I give up the seat that I had so that someone else could sit in it? Why do you take the actions that you do? It's so that you can let the truth be revealed. But when you get into those worlds that are push buttons for people, there's going to be division. And for Jesus, he was confronting the ruling class. He was confronting the holy people. And as he confronted them and set them straight, he was trying to say what he said in the previous chapter, which is, you better be ready for the challenging time that's to come. Remember, just a few years back, my friend Jan Nell got up and he shared a vision that he had. And he said, this coming year is going to be a harder year than you have ever experienced in your life. And he went on to unfold a prophetic word that was so clearly lived out while we were going through a pandemic. 
He didn't know what it was going to be, but he had such a fire in him to have to say something about it so that the people of God would be ready. I think you did pretty well. So he gives them an example. He says, in the natural, you see that a cloud is rising in the west, and you'll say, a shower is coming. In the natural, when you see a south wind blowing, you'll say, there's a scorching heat coming, right? So in the natural, if we were to speak, and this goes back to the original context in the Old Testament, is you hear prophets that speak words that, that, that seem like they're spoken in spiritual, spiritualisms, uh, spoken with God-like words. You know, they, 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 they pray in a way that, that makes you feel as though they've got some authority, but it's really manipulation. Because it's natural. What they see is natural. But in this context, he says, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. Why don't you know how to interpret the present time? In the natural, we should be able to see into the spiritual realm. We should be able to be able to see that God is assembling something that was spoken this morning. God has spoken some very, very clear words about how we should be disciplined, that we should be fathered, that we should be uh, set straight so that as our paths are straight, the way is clear, we can walk in it. Why? Because we've, not, we've got more. We've not run ourselves to the point of dying. We've not run ourselves out of steam. God has so much more for us if we would trust him and press in to that discipline. It's got to be backed up by his word. If you're going to speak into that, you're going to hear those words. You're going to see those things. You're going to say, wow, Lord, what are you saying to me? So I, I asked that question this morning. Lord, who do you want to speak to today? And they're just a few examples, but I, I, I want to speak them out today as an example of how for you to speak into what God is saying to other people. They might be, they're going to be other people than who I expressed this morning. But as I'm sitting up there leading worship this morning, I saw this tall image in the corner of my left periphery, and, and I was th thought, Oh, Brian's over there. He's over here. He sometimes sits over there. And usually the Eulenbrocks are over there. And I've said, oh, that's a perfect word, Lord. I'm going to tell Brian how he has been uh, just a beautiful father. And that not only has he been a beautiful father, but he has been fathered. Not only by his earthly father, but there are people who have mentored his life. And uh, that he should continue to press into that role as father and I open my eyes and I look up and it's not Brian. It's Christian. And I thought, Lord, how do you want to speak that word over Christian? And, I, and I'll say this to you this morning, Christian. I believe the Lord has, has said that you're going to be an incredible father. That God has already disciplined you by being fathered by Scott, your dad. He's, he's given you a way to be gentle and kind and clear He's, he's shown you how to stand up as a man and to walk in authority and integrity. And you're going to do that for generations to come. 
And when you have your own children, God is going to bless you. Where is that in Scripture? Well, we talked about it. We already talked about it this morning in the scriptures that we received. So I'm really just speaking out of the reality that, you know, to, be, to receive discipline and to, to offer the discipline of fathering is something that the Lord wants for Christian. And we're going to see it unfold in some day. I felt like the, the Lord, uh, the, the word that I f- came from this passage from Hebrews about Jesus having gone before us not... And we have not endured what he's had to endure. Lord, the word was for you this morning, Betty. That while your pace setter, your partner, is not with you right now, and Bob, that the Lord is saying, Betty, I'm right here with you. Uh, you I'm not through with you. Uh, there's so much more that I'm going to partner with you for, for the future. And that you're going to see horizons that you haven't gotten yet to see. I'm so thankful that, you know, when we face a new season, and sometimes we face it without people, I, I was not done being taught by Jan Nell. Uh, I, I felt like there was so much more that I could download from him. And the, all, every time I start to get into that pile of regret, I hear the Lord say, he's given you everything he had along the way. You just need to put it to work now. But I just want to hear it again. You just need to put it to work now. I um, also, Larry, saw you this morning as I was praying, and I, and I felt like um, you're a great example to the body around you, to your family around you, as a, a man of integrity, uh, a, a man who's taken seriously your fathering role. And I know you've done that with uh, son-in-laws and Uh, other people around the body. And I I just think the Lord wants you to know that there's another pace, uh, that you're not coming to a place where the race is over, but that there's another level that the Lord is pressing you into. In in retirement now, there's things that he's going to give to you that is wisdom from on high that comes out of nowhere for the purposes of fathering another generation. And so I just pray that you will be able to walk into that power and that fire. If we look at the beginning of this passage and we think about how um, we're being called to run a race with endurance, um, we are not being asked to be the author and perfecter of our own faith. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. So we have this word that has popped up in a song and has popped up in my head regularly recently that that he needs to be preeminent in our walk, in our day. Jesus first. If you could just plaster that to your dashboard if you're in your car a lot, put, put it on your mirror in your bathroom if you're in the bathroom a lot, put it on the refrigerator if you're in front of the refrigerator or not. Jesus first. If there's anything else that could give us the word that would open the scriptures so that we might be disciplined by the Father and walk in his will, it would be just those two words. Jesus first. Let him be preeminent in your life so that you would not resist the discipline that he's calling for you to live under, but that you would live into it with joy 
for you know what he's been through so that he might prepare a place so much more so that we might receive the fruit, the holiness, the blessing that he has for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given to us this morning an awareness that um, we have to resist operating in the flesh, but in reality, we have been given very capable eyes and ears and hearts and spirits that are in tune with your scripture to be able to speak into others' lives. So as I've spoken to Christian and Betty and to Larry this morning, I pray that you would give each one of us the fire from heaven, that we would be able to uh, follow those nudges inside of ourselves, uh, know where the scriptures are that, that back them up so it's not just our uh, imaginations or the pizza that we ate last night, that we would deliver a word from you, Lord, that is just uh, supported by and blessed and upheld by your scripture. We ask, Lord, that you would teach us uh, to let your word be the preeminent thing for your, your place in our lives to be first so that we might run the race with endurance, so that we might not be in that place where Jesus would need to uh, correct us or rebuke us, but that we would live a life that bears great fruit. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.